0: A podcast one production. From the inside with Peter Ricks.
1: Peter Ricks is an Australian music industry veteran who has spent his life working in and around the music business in Australia. From managing artists like Marcia Hines, John English, Hush and Billy Field, to 14 years as the original producer and chairman of the ARIA Music Awards. Along the way, Peter has made a lot of friends, and it's some of these friends that you'll meet over the course of this series. They're the success stories, the survivors, the maniacs, who helped steer the Australian music business from the 70s onwards, and somehow, they're all still relevant and thriving today. You'll hear their stories, their triumphs, and their troubles. Unvarnished and honest conversations with a bunch of unique, fascinating characters. Here's Peter to introduce
0: this episode's guest. And speaking of today, it's a bit special for me. I was one of those managers who, through most of the 70s, would find my way in Sydney to 2SM, or in Melbourne to 3XY, and sometimes in Brisbane to 4IP and they're all AM radio stations, because the pivotal way to break your band was to get that record played on those radio stations. It was a somewhat more innocent time, but when you walk through the doors of those radio stations, the men and women who worked there were your friends. It was hectic, somewhat erratic, but deeply fulfilling environments, and getting your record played was a as much about the relationship you and your band had with the program guys in those radio stations and with the audience that listened to the radio station than it was about market research or advertising dollars. So Through those days and into the 80s, one man stood in the middle of that mad world as the leader of the pack. Bit loud, highly unconventional, incredibly successful and with an ability to live his life and that of the radio station in the moment, it is a genuine pleasure to welcome Rod Muir to this microphone today. Morning, Rod. Morning. Nice to be with you. Um, if, if, to begin with, we can go back to the, the very beginning, <clears throat> I discovered it was Tasmania. It S- was. Smithton, Tasmania.
2: <clears throat> it was. That's, that's where I was brought up and, and um, I was really lucky enough to have my teens uh, 14 or 15 on the cusp of rock and roll. Ah. And so, you know, we had the first event I can never remember mourning uh, anyone was um, the day that Buddy Holly and Richie Valens and Big Bopper went down on that plane. You wow. Know, and we went to the milk bar and, gave, you know, gave their jukebox of a workout. Yeah.
0: And, <laughs> yeah. Right <laughs> on.
2: Probably smoked a cigarette yeah too yeah
0: <laughs> and, and and you ended up in radio through that
2: well yeah I, I, um, I when I when I went to school, um, I had a lot of jobs because um, our family wasn't that well off and I used to run a milk run in the morning and um, go to school and then have a job afterwards and I remember My Saturdays were really, I would uh, run about five, four or five miles on a milk run. Right. And then I'd race 30-odd miles, professional uh, road racing. Bikes? And take that money, yeah. Wow. And then boundary umpire in the afternoon for Australian rules.
0: So Michael Chug wasn't commentating
2: these races by any chance? No, no, no. He was in the big time. He was in Launceston. Ah. We were were very small. (laughs) Bernie was our biggest town. Anyway, I I became an electrician and they made me stop all my other jobs and so I dropped an enormous amount of money to become an apprentice. Right. Which was against my grain and I didn't particularly like it. How old were you? Uh, I must have been 16. Oh, wow. And um, I tuned in the radio one day and and they had an ad for a radio announcer and um, I thought, yeah, that sounds pretty good. My father had been an elocution teacher and a producer of plays and stuff and I'd been on stage since I was, well, before I went to school really and, and um, so performing was a right. second nature sort of role. And, and, and which radio station? 7BU.
0: They only had 7BU and Bernie. Yeah. Mate, I've got a story about that for you. Have you? <laughs> I've got a few. <laughs> I once turned up at 7BU, it was that yeah. little fibro it was a, like a cottage. What, yeah. not a, it was a building, but it was on its own, in isolation. Mm-hmm. I turned up once with Marsha, Marsha Hines and John English to do a oh. um, an interview because we were going to play at the Bernie Town Hall. Oh, my oh. God. Chuggy was the promoter. Was he? And.
2: I didn't know And
0: then. And we walked in and sat outside in the little, this little area and because there was no reception or anything, it was just the guy in the booth and yeah. there was somebody else somewhere who said, oh, you sit there and, you know, we'll get to you. Yeah. And, yeah, the guy, the guy the guy on the uh, the guy playing the radio said oh we're about to interview Marcia Hines and John English and let's let's have a song before they they uh, they come in and he played Shell Silverstein's Drop Kick Me Jesus Through the goalposts <laughs> of Life
2: <laughs> I have no, no, been no, scarred
0: it? forever for life no, by no, that no. story 7B U yeah.
2: Oh, god no no that was in the 70s yeah it was yeah, I, I would have been long gone then yeah no no yeah. i had my first um, my been my 18th birthday, what about 17th? 18th birthday, 17th birthday in 7BU, and I was only there a couple of years. Right, and then I went to Hobart. And the big time? Well, sort of. But there was something really wrong. You know, the, the people who were running radio stations were uh, insensitive to the medium, ostensibly. Um, uh, they were like accountants are uh, uh, today, I guess you know and accountants are the only ones in the bus looking out the rear vision mirror, and they insist on telling the driver how to drive how to drive the car uh, yeah. yeah smart and uh so I went to from there to Launceston, where uh, the guy that was running the radio station was a uh, an entrepreneurial sort of a guy he'd come out of movie theaters right and and he sort of put a bit of flash into it. So was this, were they, were they top 40 radio stations in those days or didn't that exist? They normally employed me to do the hit parades and, ah. and do the, they might give you a couple of hours or something, but they were, there was no total programming. Right. And, and um, <clears throat> one day uh, a guy from Sydney <clears throat> was on holidays in Victoria and he tuned in. Because you can pick up stations in the mainland uh, from Country Victoria at mm-hmm. night time, it rang me up and offered a job um, at 2SM um, because um, they were losing one of their main guys. And I said, "I'll have a look at it." And anyway, I was busting my guts to get there, of course. And I went to um, to Sydney, <laughs> and the story was. It was Bob Rogers who was leaving <laughs> uh, to go to TUE.
0: The way S Two SM through you mm. sort of infiltrated itself into the local business. That, that's the thing that I have such fond memories of. That you know, people would whinge about only having thirty or forty songs on, on the uh, on the on the rotation list. But mm. mate, I, I don't think any radio station ever had a closer relationship with the business than
2: they. No, that that was really just the way we were. That, that was that was just a personal thing. That uh, we were into the music. We I, were always. I want to remind you of a of a
0: gig we mm. once. Uh, you know, I managed a band called Hush. Yeah, they were a little pop group, and a great you, band. you and some of your nefarious mates, including mates of mine, Mr. Yeah. Robinson, etc. Yeah. So. Suddenly, we're booked to go and play in uh, Moor Park with the Glitter Band, <laughs> and the band and I turn up, and there's this very straight promotions guy from to called Bill Chambers. Yeah, and there's ten. He came th- out of news, did he? Yeah. So there were ten thousand screaming twelve-year-old girls mm. in front of this stage, and a, a, you know a, a nice little Jan's PA and a stage for us all to work on. And absolutely no security whatsoever because no. Bill thought 500 people would turn up. Yes. And and I walked in and said, mate, is there a dressing room here? Yeah, you know, you get in the back of the truck, <laughs> which was an <laughs> Eric Robinson Jans <laughs> truck that we had to put the band in. They got changed and then we opened the doors and, of course, when they opened the doors, Les got looked at me and said, I'm fucking drowning here. Can you <laughs> get me out? Because there was no air. And then all I could think about was the Glitter Band were going to arrive and I had no idea how they were going to do it. But when they turned up, I mean, the the Hush Boys got a great reaction. But at that stage, um, Mm. when the Glitter Band got on, walked on stage and started doing, you know, Do We Want To Be In My Gang or whatever it was, without Gary, mind you. But all of a sudden, it was a riot. And and you sat there going, this all happened. And the next week, the the band's single charts. Yeah, straight after yeah. That, it changed, yeah. and that that they were, oh my goodness, they were days that I I always
2: remember fondly. Well, the, the you should take risks, you know. I mean, it's not you don't take risks. You take you do things because you 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 think they'll work. Yeah. Uh, but you've got to give everything a fair go, and so if you're going to take on a record, you jump on it and play the hell out of it, and and but get off it quick if it's wrong, you yeah. know. And you can tell pretty quickly if, if if it's going to work or not, you know. So then, two SM starts to throb.
0: Yep. And then it gro- the the your world grows. Yes. Three so, XY was next.
2: Well, yeah. I, yes, 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 and I did the same deal in Melbourne, you know. I said, look, um, um, you're going to cut your content. I might have taken him down lower than, than 12, but, you know, I said, you're going to cut your content. The laws of the land are such that I cannot change. Um, I can't be in control of what goes to air because I don't work for you. Mm. Um, and I got 10% of their increased gross revenue, and, the, and they were the bottom of the pile, and so it was quite a lucrative contract, which I had to share with the, the Catholics. Of course. And so they got me to sign this contract that in today's terms would have been unconscionable. But, you know, I just said, yeah, sure. Also, I, mean, I trusted them and thought, you know, how bad can a religion be? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I pretty, was sort of... funny. <laughs> <laughs>
0: it was a... It was a uh, I'm, uh, I'm interrupting your mm, flow here, but... Uh, it always, it always, um, there, there were moments we would often discuss that uh, with, because 2SMI was thought stood for St Mary's and then I found out yeah, later. It was St Mark's. It was St Mark's was yeah. some, some church in Dremont. But all, all we could ever talk about was every time you walked in the door, God, I hope while the band's on on air, the Pope doesn't die. Well, that's true. That's true.
2: However... I had a sign in my office which they made me sit in the administrative area and on the back wall behind me I had this tapestried sign saying, yea, though I walk through the valley of death, I fear no evil because I'm the meanest son of a bitch in the valley. (laughs) (laughs) And these priests had come in and asked for favours and stuff and, oh, God, you know, they go.
0: So slowly, though, that, that 3XY Became like there was a network group the same, this, yeah. Yeah, and, we and, just
2: used the same format and, and 4IP did this, yeah. same pretty well, yeah.
0: yeah. So the denim circle with the with the, the denim
2: design. logo actually came out of Queensland. They thought they had this great idea and, and they sent it down to me, say, What do I think? and I said, Yeah, that's great, but I'll fix it up a bit for you. And of tricked, course, tricked <laughs> it and made it a little bit better because it was a bit Queensland, but uh, they, 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 every, everyone contributed, but it gave you the sense like I have David Frost, yeah. Uh, come out to Australia, and that's something I learned off you guys was that you know, you, when it came to speaking to talent, no talent was too big. You know, I mean, if Chucky could get God on the phone, not a problem to him, he'd just get an appointment and no, and yell yes, very loudly, and yes. God would come to visit. <laughs> well, that's possible too. Um, um, and and David was, um, uh, I said to him, will you come to Australia and will you read an ad an hour? And he said, yeah, sure, Rod, sure. He's a very easy guy to get on with mm. And because we'd settled on the money and, I, and I'd done the maths and then I rang every station in Australia and said, I'll give you David Frost for three hours a morning for a week if you just give me one ad an hour right. and no money. And David Frost will read the ad. Then I'd go to the advertisers and say, look, do you want David Frost to read your ad? Mm. You know, make a bid.
0: Man, you really were the sales manager of this thing by then. That, that's that's part of the well, game. Well, putting isn't
2: a deal it? together, yeah. But that, I mean,
1: that's what I've done all my life. Radio legend Rod Muir. This is from the inside with Peter Ricks in a moment. Rod talks about how he came across FM radio and his fight to get FM radio to Australia. It meant going all the way to Canberra.
0: So somewhere in the middle of those of that seventies, even out of that, <clears throat> those those remarks, becoming the leader. As is, which is, I always find different to being the manager. I mean, management is a is a different thing to actually setting setting a a process of leadership through an organisation.
2: Well, what does the manager
0: do? Well, they get in the way a lot. You can tell me that again. Yeah. yeah. So, but but here we are. Here you are. You've got Sydney, Melbourne,
2: Brisbane, Adelaide. Eight? No, I didn't because my first wife's family were in Adelaide, and that was a no go. I wasn't going to go there. All
0: right. Perth. Yes. Right. so So but then it came it gently or otherwise came to a
2: conclusion for you, but there was Digger arrived as well in the middle of this. well, Digame was a result of the three XY contract, and right. I said to them, "Look, I will move out, and I will go and run dig will we'll call it Digame and there was a great musician called Peter Martin. Oh, Lord, yes. Who uh, had the Southern Contemporary Good. Rock Assembly. Yes. He uh, was one of my favourite people and, and I sort of got Peter to come across and be with us because we needed people like that. And I said, I need a name for the company. And he went away and he came back and he said, look, I can't really think of anything but it's Spanish, the little I know of it, Decame is speak to me. He said, and if we bastardise it, Australianise it, we'll call it Digamay and we'll know the answer. (laughs) So that's where it came from. Yeah, yeah.
0: I have tried uh, over the years occasionally to to sort of, in the world of Google, Mm. to find
2: out if there was a meaning for it, but there's there's not there. The the meaning came from Decamay. Speak to me.
0: So Digame became, you, you sort of moved out of the 2SM building because in those days yeah, it was plans we and you are over, at you're at over in long, north, north city yeah, yeah. Yeah. that that there was dear
2: trevor smith yes he was and yeah. john torf john torf yes and the, were they the th- were they the your two two you, main guys at, at digamay yeah they, they were tre- trevor um was was always a very very good music guy yeah he, he was you and, know. and
0: so then the the programming of the radio stations inside what was at that stage from a, from a distance, a network, because yes. you're, you're absolutely right. You'd yeah. go to Brisbane and it would, yeah. 4IP would sound the same and it worked. I yeah. mean, it throbbed along. Yeah. But the music business throbbed at the same time. Yeah, And then one day, you weren't there anymore. And, you know, I used to find that sort of strange because at that, the same time, uh, when Barry took over 2SM and Chuggy and I ran that concert of the decade, which was the mm-hmm. last days of of the seventies. Really, where you were was with Mister you know, Tony Hogarth and all those wonderful people. Mm. Um, that th- you were at that stage, you'd left that to ferment a, a, a dream to, to start FM. Correct.
2: Well, I'd always yes, yes. I, I while I was working in America a decad- decade before, I had. Become aware. We had an FM station, and it was in a in a little closet down the back cupboard that played elevator music. That's what <laughs> FM stations did in America right. in in those days. And, but but I was very aware of its of its of its uh, possibilities. I mean, the highs highs were there. The low lows were there. You know. I mean, it 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 was a much better. Well, the, sound. Oh, the music, the clear. And, and, yeah, the music came alive, you know. Yeah. And, and, but um, uh, I had um, told 2SM that I wasn't going to work with them anymore and they pulled the contract thing on me and they um, were quite serious about, I mean, uh, don't pick a fight with the church. I mean, to me it was just another fight, but... Churches are very powerful people, mm. and the Catholic Church is particularly powerful. Mm, as we know today. And, well, anyway, we went to court, and I got Turnbull's father-in-law, um, uh, who had been an ex-attorney general, uh, and he represented me, and he was, he was very, very good. And um, uh, we settled on the fact that I couldn't work in Melbourne or Sydney for two years, uh, and I had to stay alive. Uh, uh, and I was not getting on that well with my wife at the time. And Well, it, you know, it was a a marriage where it was at the stage where till death do us part was running through the back of your mind. Mm. And um, anyway, I decided that that was not on, so I gave her everything. I gave her the house and I, I left with... Um, no money and and um, um, just a little four-wheel drive Suzuki Jeep and um, a couple of contracts that sort of kept me half alive. And for two years, but I had it written into the agreement that I could lobby for the introduction of FM at that time. So it became Exhibit A. So when they tried to Crucify me before the broadcast tribunal, and applying for a license because they tried everything, you know. And and you, you learned to dance Uh, uh, really quickly, and so, um, uh, I um, then, with no money, I used to drive to Canberra in this little jeep. I would buy raffle tickets off Tony Eagleton's. Uh, Secretary, who was a lovely woman, I got to know Tony Staley and I just sold. Because The fact that I was taking on Murdoch and Packer well, didn't even cross my mind. It was just <laughs> I, I, I felt I was right. But y- you were the one,
0: uh, forgive me, but for the pe- people listening to this, the, they may not grasp if they've never, if they weren't there for the gestation of, of FM, mm. for those of us that were, the first thing to do was to convince government yes. to allow licences to broadcast. To introduce licences, because at that time,
2: <clears throat> AM radio stations had it all. They, yes. There was no, there was no. Absolutely, it, yeah. but it wasn't only to introduce FM, which they knew they had to do, because they could only suppress it for a certain amount of time. It's like renewable uh, yeah. uh, uh, energy. Energy, you know, they can only suppress it. Even if you're Tony Hogarth, you can only suppress it for a certain amount of time. Uh, t- Tony um, Abbott. Yeah, but I yeah. Don't know, yeah. Tony Staley was living with Malcolm Fraser, sharing a house in Canberra. And. He was the Prime Minister and so he had a little bit of leeway lay- lay- there. Murdoch and Packer were the prime protagonists, but every AM station in Australia and the church was very active in this, that they were the sole cust- custodians of, of abilities to make this thing a success.
0: Oh, so, so the AM stations were okay if they, they believed got the-
2: it was their inherent right to own to the, get AM the AM license. stations as well. Right and And um, all I had to do was to sell the simple facts was that a if you have problems with media now, which you do uh, the the easiest way to get around this is to, do, is to is to have have which which they should still have this attitude should should be to spread ownership because with spread of ownership you're getting more points of view hmm. and less intensity and less less muscle from the people who want to misuse that circumstance. Hmm. And and um, anyway, um, I was uh, washing up dishes <laughs> in a, um, a restaurant which was losing money with, with my kid sister um, uh, in Hornsby and I got the call from Tony Staley saying we won by one vote. Oh, it was that close.
0: That was and a hell of a day though,
2: mate. It was a big day and, and, then, and then so then I could put a company together and and, mm. and 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 apply and of course, you know, every man and his dog applied. But we had the points on the board, you know, and and uh, they were desperate to want it to be successful.
0: And, and how long did how long did that go on for though? Was it three
2: uh, years, four years? I suppose, yeah, I was out of the game for probably three 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 or four years. Was there no, no Triple M went to air in nineteen eighty? Uh eighty, eighty one, yeah. And and I remember um, I can't remember what, what I said, but I certainly gave the Catholics a burst. <laughs> I told them that uh, they were going to leave the business and would they please be quick about it and be tidy about it. Well, and, they, and, and they did and leave they the did. business. Yes, yes. Yes. And then the poor engineer who, was, who had come to apply for the job <laughs> um, with another guy who, who was licensed to do the job. But, of course, everyone who was licensed to be your chief engineer, which you had to have one, was not the sort of person that I, you would be warm and friendly towards. And the engineers, if you'd ever worked in the industry, were always a problem. Yeah. They were the bastards that, you know, they were nearly as bad as the sales managers. And, and so this guy came as a friend and I got to talking to him and he was an engineer but he was unqualified. And I said, well, and it turned out he was a drummer in, in, in a band. And I said, you're exactly the guy. You've got the job. And he said, I can't do the job. I'm not. I said, I'll pay someone to sign the bloody papers. Don't you worry about it. You can do it. And so he was full of enthusiasm and he was he a was, you know, very diligent sort of guy. Excuse me, this was Frank? Frank, Frank? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, And so Frank, so, so I'm going to air and I've just given the Catholics a serve and everyone's going, please shut up. Don't, get, don't Let's lose the licence before we start. And, and I've got uh, Neil Young's Russ Never Sleeps, which I thought was a very appropriate song to start with.
0: That the first song?
2: Yeah, and, and 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 there's two versions. There's an acoustic version, and and there's a there's a, a, hemorrhaging, um, a distorted guitar <laughs> version. So of course I played the distorted guitar. Of course, and you Mancini did. shit himself. <laughs> he was running. He couldn't believe that he'd done the perfect job, and this distortion was coming out. <laughs> he never forgave me.
1: In part two of Peter Rix's conversation with radio legend Rod Muir, Rod talks about the launch of Triple M, those early days of crystal clear FM radio, and working with top-rating breakfast radio host Doug Mulray. Rod also finally clears up the story about his last days at Triple M, the chainsaw and the boardroom table. That's next time on From the Inside. From the Inside is recorded in the studios of Podcast One. For more episodes, head to podcastone.com.au or download the Podcast One app.